Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. My name is Lachlan Miller and the premise of our show is that each week, three of us, an expert, a pastor's kid and a new Christian sit down to read the Bible. However, today we have something different for you because normally I fulfill the role of expert on the podcast, but today we actually have a real expert with us instead of me pretending. And so I'd love to welcome Alan Thompson, who is the head of New Testament at Sydney Missionary and Bible College. Welcome, Alan. Nice Thanks. to have you. Thanks, Lachlan. It's great to be here. Uh, yeah, don't oversell it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm great and glad to be here. He, he is a real expert. I will have you know. Um, I know Alan because he lectured me at SMBC. We were also in a prayer triplet together, and in the year 2020, we were meant to go on a short-term mission trip together yeah. and an Israel tour together, yeah. but a, uh, a certain pandemic prevented <laughs> our plans in that area. Now, at SNBC, you are known as an expert on the book of Acts. You literally wrote a book called The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. We will return to that, I promise. <laughs> our next season of the podcast is actually on the book of Acts, and so we were hoping as a really helpful prelude to us three discussing Acts, we could have a conversation with someone who knows way more about Acts to help all of us understand what's going on. But first, let's get to know Alan a little bit. So it's my understanding, Alan, that before you became head of New Testament at SNBC, hmm. you were an electrician in New Zealand. Yeah. Wondering yeah. how you went from there yeah. to where you are now. Yeah. So uh, it is a long story, but it's true that I used to be a Sparky. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, uh, you know, the sort of shortish version of that is that uh, the Lord changed my life when I was um, about 21. Mm. And um, then I, and this was in Austria. So I had went traveling overseas to did a, sort of in New Zealand. There's a lot of people would, you know, take a couple of years off and do like an OE, overseas experience, what we used to call it. Yeah. Nice. Um, <clears throat> yeah and so went to Europe, um, dramatic things happened there, the Lord changed my life and wanted, then I wanted to serve him some way. So mm. then had a sort of new focus on life and tried a few different things, Was a, worked um, in London and, and in Ireland, uh, worked for some missionaries in Ireland as well, then ended up uh, coming back to New Zealand, getting involved in my home church there and th got more and more opportunities to teach and share the Bible in different contexts and so mm. they suggested I sh should probably uh, do a little Bible study. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> so one thing led to another. Um, and just to cut it short, we, <laughs> we ended up going to Chicago and studying mm -hmm. um, at a place called Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And uh, and then while we were there, we got to know some Aussies who were here. They uh, During our time there, um, we had a little group. They, they used to call it the Aussie Get-Together, and they very kindly allowed us to, to join. to join, yep. <laughs> um, and some of them are from SNBC. And so one thing led to another, and we ended up coming to teach at SNBC. And so we've been here now at SNBC since 2005, January 2005. And, yeah, nice. Uh, that's, that's been a long time. So you're approaching soon a 20-year anniversary. It does feel like that. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Time passes <laughs> fast, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It doesn't seem that long. But uh, yeah, so our girls uh, both been now brought up here in, mm. in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you kept saying we, so I'm wondering uh, what your family's like. What? Who is in the we? Yeah, yeah. So married to Elaine. Yep. Um, Elaine was born in Papua New Guinea, a missionary mm. kid there. I lived there till she was 17. And we have two girls, Deborah and Rebecca. Um, both of them are studying at the moment, uni, yep. different degrees, criminology and interior design. Wow, that's so, quite different. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's great. They keep us all entertained and uh, on our on our uh, toes. <laughs> 
as kids always do, I'm sure. <laughs> now, here, I'm actually a youth pastor at the moment here mm. at Nawi, which is where we're filming. Mm. And I noticed on your bio on the SMBC page that you were also used to be a youth pastor. Yeah. Wondering what youth ministry looked like for you. Yeah, yeah. A uh, couple of different places. So one, when I was overseas, so I got involved in a church in London mm. and uh, they ended up, after I worked for some missionaries in Ireland, they ended up asking me to come back and help um, run their youth program. And that was very different. They had a, they had a lot of non-Christian kids who were associated with the church. So it was... It was not my sort of normal experience of uh, church uh, yeah. youth group. <clears throat> I think there were maybe two or three Christian kids and then 15 or 16 <laughs> non-Christian kids. So it was pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, that, yeah. <laughs> there was a, one evening there was like a, I don't know, they would just yell out, let's get Alan. And so they'd just be, you know, running pile on top of me. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that was good fun. Uh, that was London. And then when I came back to New Zealand, I helped out. It wasn't the youth pastor, but I helped out with some others as a leader of the youth group in a church in New Zealand. That was like the opposite. It was like all church kids. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was that was great as well. So two different church settings and experiences and contexts. Yeah. Yeah. So while you're at Trinity, I believe that you were research assistant to D.A. Carson. Yeah. Now, I was actually reading your book the other day and one of the guys from church leaned over and was like, oh, series editor D.A. Carson, what a heavyweight. Like, how did Alan manage to score that? But you clearly know the man. Mm, Wondering what yeah. it was like being his research assistant and what he's like. Yeah, it was a great privilege. Uh, to be honest, one of the reasons why I went to study at Trinity was because he was there. I'd mm. read a bunch of his books and he had written on so many different uh, different areas, uh, not just sort of New Testament stuff, but he's, you know, wide ranging interests and expertise. So I thought if I could at all maybe take a class or two with him, then I'd be really grateful. So <clears throat> by the time I got towards doing the thesis stage of the PhD, then I got a phone call um, saying uh, his research assistant is, is graduating. Would I mind um, being his research assistant for a couple of years. So wow. <laughs> I said, oh, and after I got up off my chair, I've, off the floor, uh, I said, yes, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, so it involved, um, doing, doing, uh, research for him. If he was working on something, he'd give me a topic to go and hunt down all these various sources and compile mm. them for him and, um, uh, you know, sort of summarize things for him. Um, it involved a little bit of marking and, um, occasionally when he was away would maybe fill in, but most of it was that sort of researchy type stuff. But another big part of it was driving him to and from the airport. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, so also the chauffeur. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, and uh, not so much these days, but at that time he was a well, world travelled um, mm. uh, Bible teacher and speaker. So there was there was one time I picked him up. I think he'd arrived back in Chicago from Australia. <clears throat> and then the next day he was flying off to the UK. So I picked him up one day, took him home. Then the next morning I was back back at his place to take him. And that was unusual, but still um, the great thing about that was that I had a good half an hour with him in the car mm. each way. So yeah. I would uh, I would sort of prep myself and have a list of questions for him and uh, make the most of that half an hour. And, and he was always very, very gracious, um, mm. always very happy to chat to me. He would get in the car sometimes I'd pick him up from Chicago O'Hare Airport, and he'd be clearly very tired, and uh, you know just been teaching all day every day mm. in the middle in in you know Europe somewhere, and uh, so I just sort of waited for a few minutes. Uh, How was your trip? Uh, it was good, and, and then just wait for a few minutes more, and then 
I've been thinking, uh, what do you, <laughs> then ask him a couple of questions. And yeah, so he was, he was very kind and, and, uh, answered those. So I found him to be a gracious person, mm. um, always, um, generous with his time with me. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, a world Christian, that was something that I learnt from having to go to the airport every day with him was not every day, sorry, uh, going to the airport <laughs> regularly. regularly with him. Um, was just how many different parts of the world he was involved in encouraging mm. believers. And he would always, you know, report back, you know, sort of one of my questions would be, how, you know, what's the church like in that such, such a place or what are the issues they're facing and that sort of thing. And so mm. he was always, you know, well versed on world Christianity kind yeah. of thing. And so he was really a world Christian in that sense. Um, but just a remarkable ability to... to um, be an expert on so many different things. Mm. I, you know, I'm struggling to sort of get my head around, you know, one area of the Bible, but he's, he's, uh, he's well, you know, well known as an expert on lots of different areas. So Absolutely. Yeah, it's got a, we're very, you know, some people are just like that. Right? God's wired them that way. And so we're very grateful to, for people like that and for, for God's work in his life and what he's been able to do for so many Christians over the years. And so I was just yeah. so, so grateful to have a part, to be a part of that and get to know him a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Such a yeah. valuable part of the body. Yeah. I mean, all parts are valuable, but yeah, yeah. really so, lovely to see that. Yeah. If you could have an instant coffee <laughs> no. with one <laughs> no. character from the Bible. A flat white, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it can't be Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Who would you choose? Uh, it's such a hard question. I mean, obviously, at one level, I'd want to answer Luke, you know, because yep. uh, obvious reasons for writing Luke and Acts. But as I thought about it, I thought, I wouldn't mind sitting down with Peter. Yeah, okay. Uh, he would have an interesting thing, uh, interesting uh, few stories to tell, you know, mm. not only because he's, he's everyone's kind of favorite character in some ways in, in the Gospels, because he seems to always be, you know, putting a foot wrong, so to speak. Yeah, the bumbling fool, often, <laughs> poor guy. Yeah. But even in Acts as well, I feel like there's there's got to be, I mean, the various prison escapes mm -hmm. and, the, um, and the sort of arguing with the Lord about, you know, not eating the food that comes down and in, in, uh, or the animals that, you know, come down in Acts chapter 10. Yep. Um, and being rescued in Acts chapter 12. That story in particular in Acts 12 fascinates me for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, he um, gets left at the door for a while. <laughs> that is very funny, I think. So I, I'd love to just find out a bit more about how that how that went down and just the whole description of that he, he was asleep you know <laughs> in prison yep. with the guards and he's due to be brought out for trial and certain death um i don't know how he would have slept so that'd be one question yeah, be, fair, fair. Uh, but yeah just there'd be so many things he would he would shed light on i think which would be mm. fascinating yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just on the topic of sleeping, I remember when we did our episode on Jacob in Genesis, there's a moment where he falls asleep using a rock as a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> and Morgan, Josh and I were like, there's a miracle in this That's passage. Right. It's, he, he fell asleep somehow. He must have been very tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Peter. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Um, the way I always describe Peter to all my youth is Jesus's bestie. Yeah. <laughs> and they always true. seem to then that's understand true. the relationship they had. Yeah, yeah. Which is a helpful starting place for them. That's right. And he, like, yeah, that's right. Because he was very close, of course, in the mm. core, uh, in a group in the Gospels. And then you find him very involved in the very early chapters of Acts as well with John um, too, that continuing yeah. friendship with Peter and John. So, Even yeah. if there's a little rivalry there about who's a faster runner. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> That'd be another question I'd ask him about. <laughs> Did you yeah. actually lose the race? <laughs> yeah, because as I think of the book of Acts, I always think uh, Paul's story or mm. the story of the gospel going to the world, mm. which mm. I like to think is still both very accurate. But hey, mm. you're right, the first half of the book of Acts is, is Peter. sort of Peter's show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day of Pentecost sermon, Peter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. first big Christian sermon, Yeah, Peter. Yeah, 
Before we get to just Axe, obviously Axe is one of your areas of interest slash study, but mm. what else do you kind of spend your time focusing on? Well, at the moment, it is pretty much Axe. <laughs> so, I mean, I in terms of my own research and writing, I've got, you know, projects and various things to do on Luke and Axe. Um, and yeah, so I'm in the middle of working on some of those things at the moment. But then of course at SNBC, we teach a range of different subjects. Mm. So it's whatever I happen to be teaching at the moment that um, is taking up my attention most of the time. As it happens, I'm teaching Luke's gospel <laughs> this semester and taught Acts at the beginning of the semester. So it has still been Luke and Acts at college. But mm. um, next semester, I'll be back into uh, John's gospel again. And so, oh, sorry, Romans again next yep. semester um, was John's gospel first semester this year. Um, and then after we do, you know, after we teach those, then usually it's uh, another subject like Romans and then, um, sorry, Romans, <laughs> maybe cut that. <laughs> That's right. I remember you teaching me Romans yeah, at SNBC okay. in my final year Okay. before you're locked down and moved online. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's something to not remember to yeah, yeah, about. I reckon. forget about. Cause yeah. didn't you recently release a contribution to a commentary on, I want to say Philippians or... Close. Yeah, Colossians. Colossians. Oh, yeah, yes. It's next yeah, to each yeah. other. <laughs> yeah. I was going to talk about that later when we finish. But yeah, yeah I no, have no. written something on Colossians and Philemon, actually. Yeah. Um, people would always ask me, what are you working on? This is when I was writing on I said, Colossians. Oh, yeah. And Philemon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, they were both delivered at the same time. That's were they right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Went to the same the same church at the same time. That's why they're, they're packaged together often. Yeah. And uh, for good reason. I think there's a lot in, in both of them. So I, I'd love to talk about that as well sometime. Yeah. But well, yeah. bring it up again. Like, please do. Don't feel yeah. <laughs> like you have to keep that to yourself. Yeah. This is a question that I'm not sure how you'll answer, but um, this is my first like proper interview attempt of someone. And so I was Googling like good questions to ask someone in an interview. And one of the questions was, what's one thing about your field of expertise that no one else agrees with you about? I'm wondering if you have a good answer to that question. What is something that when it comes to Axel Luke that mm. you think is probably pretty accurate or true, but no one else seems to agree with you about. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anything major. That's um, I mean, there've been a few things that I've picked up from others and that others have picked up from me. And so, you know, there are different views on some areas of acts, but it's not like I'm the only one that holds <laughs> some, some of those views. I would be a little bit worried if I was the only one that held it, I suppose. Uh, in terms of the structure of acts, um, mm. most people debate uh, especially the second half of the book, whether you structure it according to missionary journeys yep. or summary statements that um, sort of spread throughout the book and are mm. markers. I take the summary statement view uh, with others, of course, um, but there's a couple of places where I think the summary statement doesn't need to actually mark the exact point where, um, where there's a change in the narrative or where mm. there's a, a, a break. And, uh, and so I haven't seen... A lot of others, I, I don't think, just off the top of my head, um, follow me on that, or mm. or it, or go before me on that. Or, um, so it tends to be they either follow missionary journeys or summary statements, and I sort of follow summary statements with a tweak, with yeah. a, a tweak in a couple of places. So that's very minor, just in terms of where you structure the book. I think part of the reason why it might become more than just a minor thing is just because when I look at the structure and think about various sections, then I'm also trying to think about uh, what are the main themes in that mm. particular section? And so then where you begin or end a section might affect why you think a main theme is or isn't there. So that's all. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. For our listeners, um, when it came to us dividing acts into our episodes, I actually took your outline that you have in this book here <laughs> and tried to 
tweak it for our use because mm. you didn't divide it nicely into the 12 episodes I wanted. Um, yeah. But we've we've vaguely worked on your actual uh-huh. breakdown. So oh. if people listen to our whole season of Acts that should be coming at some point soon, mm. they will vaguely get it divided up the way you divide it up. Good. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope it, hope it works out well. <laughs> um, so actually, speaking of your book, um, as I was reading through it, you make it very clear that um, Luke who we'll talk about authorship Mm. later, um, is writing this book to be read as part of the journey of you read Old Testament, then the Gospel of Luke, Mm. then Acts. And by reading all three through in a row, Mm. you kind of get a big view of what God is doing, Mm. which means we should probably also talk about other things, not just Acts, if you need to read it on this um, continuum. Now, we don't have time to chat through the whole Old Testament. (laughs) So I figured I'd just start with Luke. Yes. Um, Now, I actually remember you lecturing me in Luke at SNBC, and I remember the fear you used to inspire in all the students because you had your lotto ball machine that every student was assigned a number and you would turn the handle and a little ball would pop out. You'd read the number and that person then had to translate that section of Luke from Greek into English. Yeah. I just remember the fear you yeah. used to inspire in class. Yeah, Is yeah. that something you were still doing? No, no. You'll be glad to know we've retired the um, the wheel of doom or the cage <laughs> of doom, I think. Um, yeah, so now we're much more kind. Uh, but we still require people to translate different things if they're doing it in Greek. But um, no on-the-spot pressure in terms of the wheel, <laughs> the wheel going the wheel around and the, <laughs> the ball coming out and everyone's heart rate's going up as it goes around. I will admit that... I was a good student. I think in general, I did my pre-work and translated it. Every so often you'd call upon me and I hadn't and I would pull up the ESV and just read it in a slightly more clunky fashion than Very I would normally slow. read it. There's pause every now and again. And then, yeah, I don't think you're the only one to have done that. I I know I'm not the only one who did that. Um, yeah. Anyway, we should talk about the Gospel of Luke. Yes. So Luke is what's known as a synoptic gospel. Mm. Now, we have covered the book of Matthew on our podcast mm-hmm. and when that episode came out, I tried to explain that Matthew was also a synoptic gospel. Mm. Um, I'm not convinced I did the best explanation. So Uh what is a synoptic gospel? Yeah. Okay. So if you think of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mm. basically the three Matthew, Mark, and Luke look more similar than John, basically. Mm. So so synoptic means just sort of they're looking at the same thing. They they look similar. Um, Yeah. And so... Luke is one of those, yeah. uh, as opposed to John, basically. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. how, therefore, do you figure out what that means? Like, what is your solution to mm. the synoptic problem? Yeah. So the synoptic problem then, as it's called, is uh, who maybe came first and who maybe borrowed from who and that's mm. that sort of thing. Uh, for most of church history, um, there uh, was the idea that it was sort of maybe Matthew was first and then uh, the others came a little bit later. Um, around the time of the Enlightenment, then Mark was the view that, you know, that became prominent and that's probably the most prominent view today. My own view mm. is uh, that I don't know which one came first and yep. I don't spend a lot of time trying to work out um, who was borrowing from who. Uh, there are enough differences across them all, uh, even in the parts that are similar. There are enough differences in wording and in order and that sort of thing um, to make me cautious about putting too much weight on any one particular 
um, theory. Mm. So um, it is helpful to read the gospel side by side and to see different emphases and that kind of thing. And so that's helpful. So you can mm. you can highlight, oh, this bit is, you know, there's an additional few verses here in Luke's gospel and this, at this same point sort of thing. And so this looks like it might be part of an emphasis that Luke has. And if you look at, you know, the rest of Luke's gospel, you see, might see similar themes. And so I find that helpful to notice the different emphases, but I don't spend a lot of time or any time at all worrying about um, whether one was first or second. Mm. Uh, I think um, the most important thing is that Matthew, for example, was an eyewitness Mm. um, and Mark, probably according to early church tradition, built off of Peter's eyewitness testimony. Um, and Luke was a careful investigator who had spent a lot of time in Jerusalem and had, a, had Paul for a lot of the time with him and, and, uh, and obviously um, was able to talk to people as well. And so, and he says his gospel is based on eyewitness testimony as well. And yeah. so... That's what um, I was going to bring up is Luke chapter one. He literally is like, I used sources and evidence, which I assume is why Luke is never considered for the, the original. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, he, he's, he says he uses many, so... To me, many doesn't mean Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's not Mark and one other person. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, there's a little gospel summary in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 10 where he mm. basically gives an outline of what you find in the gospels with Jesus' life and mm. death, resurrection, eyewitness testimony, so on. So um, there's lots of those sorts of summaries, I would imagine, was spread around like with, yeah. with Peter's preaching and so on. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's my non-solution to the solution. That's okay. You, I think it's really helpful when you're just like, sort of doesn't matter where they mm. necessarily came from. Let's read them. Yeah, yeah. If that's the is, if that is the emphasis of your solution is yeah. go and read them. Then. Yeah, basically read them. Notice the differences, but notice the commonalities as well. Mm. Um, some people would spend a lot of time just noticing the differences, but yeah. the differences are part of the whole narrative. So you want to read the whole, um, the whole narrative. Yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of the differences... Our yeah. viewers and listeners on our podcast have hopefully done a really good in-depth exploration of Matthew. Yeah. But yeah. they haven't yet, at least with us, done mm. a good in-depth explanation or exploration rather of Luke. Yeah. So wondering what is kind of the key differences between those two gospels. Mm. Well, uh, maybe just to boil it down to one or two, mm. the, um, one of the most well-known ones is Luke sort of structures things from chapter 9, verse 51 or so where we read Jesus sets his face for Jerusalem. Mm. And so then from 9 all the way through to like 19 is Jesus's journey to Jerusalem. Now that journey is there briefly in Matthew and Mark as well. So it's not like it's invented or anything, Mm. but it's there. But Luke has that as an expanded um, emphasis. And it's in that section where we get a lot of unique Mm. um, uh, teaching from Jesus. So the first half of Luke is primarily... Jesus' actions, his miracles and that sort of thing. And then from that point to Jerusalem, most of it is parables. And a lot of them are parables that are unique to Luke's gospel we find mm. in there. So, of course, the you know, the, the lost sheep and coin and all that sort of thing. Um, so there's tons and tons of parables. So that section is really a, a big sort of factor in terms of the differences between Luke and mm. Matthew. You get a lot in there about Jesus explaining the nature of his kingdom, why he's come, uh, why, why, he's, why he's come to earth and what the significance of the cross is going to be when he ac- actually gets to Jerusalem. Mm. Um, yeah, given yeah. that the context of that whole section is he's traveling to Jerusalem for the final time. Yeah. I yeah. guess that helps inform everything he says there. Yeah. So if you were to read the book of Acts having not read Luke, is that just a mistake? 
Like, what's the go there? It's not even next to each other in our I Bibles. Know. Yeah, it is tricky. I think at one level, you can. You can read Acts by itself. It, it sort of stands alone in some mm. ways because it is focused on slightly different things, obviously. Jesus' ascension and everything that happens after that. Mm. Um, and so you've got the spread of the gospel and all those sorts of things. So it can sort of stand by itself. You can read it by itself. Um, then it depends on how you know how many layers you want to add to that and how enriching yep. you want your reading of Acts to be. And so once you've read it a couple of times, you might uh, you might find that if you read Luke's gospel, then you can see some things anticipated mm. um, in Luke's gospel, and you can see a little bit more clearly uh, some emphases in Luke's gospel that uh, don't get picked up in Acts because Luke's already focused on them in in the gospel, and other things come to the fore in Acts. So that's why it would be helpful to read. Luke's gospel as well. But yeah. uh, then, of course, you want to go further back and you read the Old Testament too. <laughs> <laughs> and then so you end up probably, with so much pre-reading to do uh, that you right. never actually get to Acts. Their Old Testament um, friends would, um, lecturers would tell us to start with the Old Testament. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, fair. You have I'm to start somewhere. So if you're starting with Acts, then um, then that's good. That's a good place to start. You can do that and yeah. then you can you can go on from there. And then you get, get new insight as you then read other parts of the Bible. Yeah. But, well, let's like dive into Acts as like our main focus of what we're talking about. Every time we look at a new book of the Bible on our podcast, we try to answer four questions before we do anything else with it. And the first question we always ask is authorship. So who wrote this? Mm. Now, about a year or so ago, we posted a short onto YouTube where as just a side comment, I said something along the lines of, oh, and Luke, when he wrote Acts, said dot, dot, dot. Mm. And we had this YouTube comment that came through by a guy called Arctic Pangolin. Okay. Um, 3090. And he said, Acts wasn't written by Luke or any eyewitnesses. It was written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, but there's no good reason to think the Gospel's namesakes represent their actual authorship. This is just church tradition and nothing more. Okay. So, I mean, I have no idea who Arctic Pangolin is. Yeah. But yeah. his claim, at least, is that it's not written by Luke, but yeah. we already multiple times have said yeah. written by Luke. Yeah. So... Is there any good proof, <laughs> evidence, thoughts that Luke wrote the book of Acts? And also, who is Luke if he did? Yeah, so uh, good questions. So I think that person was saying uh, that the same author wrote both. Mm. And because we get that in the, the introduction to Acts points us back to Luke and refers to the same person that he's writing to. Mm. And then so when we go to Luke's gospel then, the earliest manuscripts that we have of Luke's gospel, the earliest Greek manuscripts that we have, have you know, that um, according to Luke mm. on them. So we don't actually have, you know, any manuscripts earlier than that that have no name attached to it. Mm. So that's kind of basic uh, historical kind of observation there. But uh, you might you might say, well, that was added later or whatever, but there's actually no proof for that because mm. the earliest manuscripts um, have, Luke's, have Luke's name there. Yeah, so that's kind of – that's. Basically, the that, that's one of the strong things is that the name's there from the very beginning. Yeah. Now, then, uh, the, there was no debate about that in the early church. There was no competition. There was no sort of multiple names being attached to those manuscripts. So then the question is, well, why would Luke's name? Who was that? You know, exactly. Like, uh, why not someone more famous? Why, yeah. you know, attach their name if it wasn't Luke then? And why was there no debate if it wasn't Luke? You know, why weren't other names? So I think it does seem as though that, you know, early church from the earliest times, there was no dispute over mm. that. Um, no other competing names. Um, so I think it, uh, that seems to be the most likely one. And then in terms of who he was, well, again, it's a bit hard to know. Um, there are some uh, some sections in Acts that all of a sudden change 
you know, from saying uh, Paul went here or they did this or they did that to um, in Acts chapter 16, they start, the narrative starts saying, we, mm. we sailed here and then we stayed and then we went here. And so... So the uh, author is clearly with Paul. It does seem that way. There's a, there's a series of passages where that um, comes in and then it stops. And then when Paul comes back around to Philippi again later, the we section picks up again. So mm -hmm. it seems as though the author has stayed in Philippi while uh, Paul had continued his travel. So uh, so that's the that's a, a, a thing that, that uh, New Testament people call we passages, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, where there is this reference to the author being a participant in that. And, and it feels weird to swap mid-book into using we language. Yeah. Like you could picture someone making up the gospel and putting we in there the whole time just to gain authenticity. Yeah. But for just yeah. a few unique sections to yeah. suddenly say we. Yeah, there's no great... Uh, sort of theological reason you yeah. can see for doing that. Yeah. And so then people try to work out, well, who was Paul's companion? Mm. Uh, who was with him at this time? What else do we know about that? And so uh, combining that with references in Paul's letters to who was with him at various points, mm -hmm. um, sort of by a process of elimination, Luke is referred to in a couple of places. So Colossians is one of those places where, yep. where Luke is referred to. As and being, Philemon. Uh, and, <laughs> and Philemon. So it seems likely that... Um, yeah, all things being considered, there's no other reason for for seeing Luke as the author. Mm. And then this Luke becomes someone who was a companion for some parts of Paul's travels and ministry, mm. um, church planting. So he became a dear friend, Paul says, right at the very end of his life. And to Timothy, mm -hmm. uh, he asked for the, you know, the scrolls to be brought to him and you know, said, Luke alone is with me, I think he says. So that points to a very dear, close um, friend, ministry partner, co-worker, um, between Luke and and Paul. So a very touching comment, I think, from yeah. Paul right at the end there. And so, yeah, yeah. so that's who, who this Luke is, where he came from and where he went after that, we don't know, but that seems <laughs> to be you know, as much as, you know, some people speculate he might have come from Antioch, but anyway, that that's as much as we can know, I think, yeah. for sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the timing of the early church, as I was doing a little bit of research, it seems as early as, what, AD 160 with the anti-Marcian prologue, mm. Luke's name appears in mm. the gospel, and then Irenaeus in 180, 80 kind of explicitly says this is from Luke. And mm. so those are like fairly early dates to start attaching Luke's name. Yeah. Who otherwise is sort of this unknown character. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. if, if I was going to make up a gospel, I'm attaching one of the big 12. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. That's right. So it, yeah, it does. Everything points to it being, there's no reason for saying it's not Luke mm. and it's not someone that seemed to have been associated with Paul in his early ministry. Yeah. Now when I was studying Acts at college, I came across this theory that maybe Acts was being written as like a legal defense of Paul for his Roman imprisonment. But as I was reading through your book, you say that that is, I think, quote, the least likely option. Um, <laughs> care to explain why you think it is the least likely option? Uh, well, partly because there is a whole lot of other stuff in Acts that would make it hard if that was the only reason it was written. So mm. if it's only written for Paul's legal defense when he gets to Rome, then there's a whole lot of stuff about Peter and about the Old Testament, about the place of Israel, uh, the inclusion of Gentiles, you know, clean and unclean, you know, food laws, uh, the rela relationship between Christians and the law. Um, so that there's just so many other things that, yes, you could say, okay, well, that might have something to do with it, but, uh, yeah, the issues with Paul's trial and so on from like chapter 20, 21 mm. onwards to the end of the book um, does seem to be building up towards that and does point to Paul as being innocent of those charges. But I think the main focus there is showing how 
um, Paul's gospel continues to be um, from the scriptures mm. and uh, being defended, you know, against accusations that he was against the people of Israel, against um, the law, and so on. And so, so it fits with the way the book begins as well. So rather than see it primarily for Paul's legal defense, I think more it fits with this really the salvation historical mm. framework of how Acts fits into the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, awesome. I guess the next question we always ask is genre. Um, now, mm. potentially, this is a really easy question, but what is the genre of, of Acts? <laughs> uh, again, so genre, the you know the style of writing. Mm. Um, again, it's gen- we can make something general and say it's historical. I think it's yep. sort of historical narrative. It's telling about events in history. Mm. Uh, I think we could be a little bit, at least I think anyway, we could be a little bit more specific and say it looks like and it has the feel of the type of Old Testament writing that you find in the Old Testament. So mm. very similar style in many places to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, so it seems to me that the, the genre is historical narrative, maybe even biblical uh, narrative, sort of, we might say. And, and that has a, you know, it's sort of more than a, more than an uh, academic question. I think then that yeah. sort of helps you think towards then the whole point of the book and what's Luke trying to do. And part of it is that he's showing that continuing story that that he's writing in the same style, sort of Old Testament narrative, and he's picking up on those themes and he's showing how God accomplishes his purposes and promises and so on. Mm. Um, yeah, with that continuing story. So that's my answer to the genre question. Yeah, no, great. Yeah, because yeah. as I was reading through your book, and you say, yeah, Paul was sorry, Paul. Luke was intending to write biblical narrative. I was mm. like, oh, wow, like that really informs theologically what you do with this yeah. piece of text in front of us. Yeah, I think it helps you to think, oh, what should I be looking for? So when you're reading Old Testament narrative, mm. what one of the things that helps is to be thinking, what does this tell me about God? What is this telling me about his purposes, what he's doing in the world, how he's accomplishing his promises? And so that then helps you to think through the same type of questions to ask Acts. You know, if mm. he's writing in that same style, he's sort of hoping that we'll be thinking similar things. What does this tell us about how God's accomplish, accomplishing his purposes? Yeah, yeah. nice. Uh, the third question we always ask is historical background. Where and when are the events of the book set? Hmm. Where and when. So basically, as we kind of indicated, between kind of AD 30 or 33, depending on dating, yep. to AD 62 or thereabouts. Um, so right at the beginning of the early church, this is showing us what happens next after Jesus ascends and how do we get from, uh, you know, if you're reading through your Old Testament, how do we get from focus on temple, Jerusalem, Israel? And when you're reading the Gospels, uh, Jewish leadership, mm-hmm. uh, scribes, Pharisees, all those sort of people. How do we get from there to where we are now? Like uh, people who believe in Jesus who are scattered all over the world. How do yeah. we how do we get to that? And how do we get to um, Paul's letters from the gospel? So this is part of that sort of early church history, early church. There's there's a whole lot more to it than that, but yep. that's at least you know the frame, the time frame that it is. Anyway, yeah, yeah. And then also in terms of where is it set? I guess it's starting mm. in Jerusalem mm. and then mm. how the gospel goes from there to Judah, to Samaria, yeah. to the ends of the earth, ending up in Rome by the end of it. Yeah, so that's right. So Judea, Samaria, uh, that's sort of basically Israel. And mm. then uh, as we move on from that, we go into what we call today sort of Turkey, basically. Yep. So it goes and spreads around that area of Turkey where Ephesus is and other places uh, along there as well. Yeah, yeah. And of course, over to Greece and then back around to Jerusalem again. Yeah, Before eventually landing in Rome. <laughs> in Rome, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the important ending the, place yeah. of the book. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've already touched on it a fair bit with what you've already been saying, but how would you describe the purpose 
of the book of Acts, therefore? Yeah. As a fourth big question. Yeah, that's right. So again, this is one of those things where it's helpful to have read Luke's gospel beforehand because, Mm. as we said, like the, the introduction to Acts... He tells us in my former book, you know, and so you go back to the former book and you see the introduction to Luke's gospel. He says, I'm writing these things so that you might have, um, you know, you might know the certainty of the things Mm. you've been taught. So there's a little bit of debate about this, but it seems to me when Luke says these are the things that have been fulfilled among us and the things that have been handed down to us, and then he's saying to his readers and Theophilus um, that, you know, he's included in that us then that Mm. have received these things. And if he's writing to provide him with assurance, it seems to me that the readers are Christians um, and that what he's writing for is to provide them with assurance about the outworking of God's purposes. So assuring um, his readers that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the king, um, that Gentiles are included in God's promises um, by design. This was the outworking of God's purposes. Mm. And... As you read through the book, of course, there's a lot about suffering and persecution. Yep. And so part of that assurance, I think, is assuring believers in the in the midst of hard times that God is still at work. He's still accomplishing his purposes. Yes, Jesus has ascended. Yes, he's gone. But that doesn't mean, you know, he's inactive. And mm. uh, all those things have sort of come to a stop once he ascended. Yeah. So you've then really taken Theophilus as yeah. representing a group of Christians? Or do you still think he is potentially one individual? Like, who is this Theophilus character who both Luke and Acts is, in a sense, <laughs> dedicated to? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's probably both. So yeah. it seems like he's an individual. It's possible that he was a patron of some kind. He was helping to fund, you know, the the, the writing of it for mm. Luke, perhaps. Um, but it seems like it's more likely to be uh, not just for Theophilus. It seems mm. like there's a he represents a, a readership. Um, that now, and then if you, if you sort of, sort of go off what we have, it looks like Luke expects his readers to know their old Testament because there's quotes from the old Testament all the way through. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so it's a Christian readership that knows their Bible and that is perhaps facing hard times and could do with some assurance. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So we've referred to it a lot for our YouTube viewers. This is Alan Thompson's book, (laughs) Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. Now, traditionally, this book is called Acts of the Apostles. Mm. Um, mm. So my first question is, why this title? And then secondly, where is Jesus in this book? <laughs> That's a good, good couple of questions. Uh, so that, just picking up on that opening verse that I mentioned at the beginning of Acts, where he says, in my former book, mm-hmm. he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Um, so that's sort of Luke's gospel is about what yep. Jesus did and taught. So just a little hint there already is that little word began. So mm. the fact that he be- this is what Jesus began to do and teach in Luke's gospel indicates that now what he's going to go on and write about is what Jesus continues to do and teach. So I see the book as um, not moving from a, a, a gospel that's about Jesus to a book of Acts that's all about something else, like mm. us or the apostles or something else. Um, but it's the continuation of what Jesus is has has come to do. Um, yeah. So where is he in the book? So uh, right, the, there's a hint there, right at the very first verse, um, and then there's a whole bunch of other references to his activity throughout the book. Now mm. it doesn't. It's not in the forefront because you're reading about Peter and you're reading about Paul. But every now and again, you get these references where Jesus is either speaks <laughs> or mm-hmm. or Luke tells us that Jesus is doing something. So at the very end of chapter two. Um, the Lord was adding daily um, to the to the believers with people being saved daily. Um, and I love in, that image because it's Jesus who 
made salvation possible, but then also he's the one then adding people to the yes. growing salvation community. Yes, yeah, that's right. And he's the one who pours out the Holy Spirit in Acts yeah. chapter 2 um, as a kind of the outworking of what he's come to do. Um, yeah, so so there is the, these these moments. There's that point, uh, Pentecost, for example, where mm-hmm. he pours out the Holy Spirit. Uh, he adds to the church there. And so there's a range of places like that that we might perhaps dig into right mm-hmm. now. But uh, chapter 11, when the gospel goes to the Gentiles as well, um, we read there that the Lord's hand was with them. And mm. so there was large numbers of people that were believing um, because of the Lord's help. And the Lord in that context, again, you have to read the verses before and after, it, but it's always a reference to the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And then, of course, the most famous conversion of all. <laughs> yep, Paul's conversion, <laughs> where Jesus uh, appears as a bright light on the exactly. road. Exactly, yep. yeah. So Jesus is still active. He's still accomplishing mm. his purposes. And then Jesus tells him, basically, in a summary of what the whole rest of the book is about, you're going to you know, bear my name you know, before Gentiles and the kings and people of Israel. So that's sort of an outline showing that Jesus is going to enable Paul to continue to do this. Yeah. And what I love is the thought that the biggest obstacle to the spread of the gospel was Paul Mm. and the Lord Jesus himself steps in to remove that obstacle and actually turn that obstacle into one of the most useful vessels that he will be using. Yeah. Now, I should add a little footnote here. Uh, When I say the acts of the risen Lord Jesus, I'm not wanting to sort of remove the other members of the Trinity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, fair. Uh, So so you could have a, uh, and I mentioned this in the opening pages, you could have a larger title. You could say, you know, because I've indicated already, it's the outworking of God's promises and plans. Um, and Jesus is the one who pours out the Holy Spirit, so mm. by means of the Spirit. So you could say, you know, it's, it's the acts of the risen Lord Jesus, uh, you know, uh, fulfilling the Father's purposes by means of the Holy Spirit. And you could even add in there through his people or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, can't fit everything onto the front page of a book cover. So no, of course not. <laughs> even like that's a whole page of your Bible taken up by the title. <laughs> yeah. But that, that does show that there. it's not like it's only Jesus that's involved, but yes. it, he's the most prominent one in the book is the, the way it starts in mm. terms of, you know, what he's what Luke is going to continue to write about. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, as you've already pointed out, the Holy Spirit is one of the key agents. Like it is called mm. the Spirit of Christ in other places yeah, in the New Testament right. yeah. of how the Lord Jesus continues to be active in his people. Yeah. But something that has always struck me about Christianity is this mm. idea of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, I did the maths and the Holy Spirit only comes 76.3% of the way through the Bible. <laughs> I counted up the pages in my Bible. And that is pages. the percentage <laughs> is okay. at 76.3% of the way through the Bible, the Holy Spirit <laughs> arrives. Mm. In a weird mm. sense that in some way feels like it comes out of nowhere. I'm mm. sure that is not the case, mm. but... Yeah. I'm, give me some sort of insight into what I'm hinting towards here about the Holy Spirit and does it come out of nowhere, basically, I'm asking. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if, the, if I'm going to get what you're, <laughs> what you're hinting at, but it is the, the promise of the Spirit, of course, is a part of the promise of the new covenant as mm. well. And so there were, of course, um, indications of the Holy Spirit's activity prior to Pentecost. He, you know, he enables people to build the, the tabernacle and other things. Um, and uh, even Acts chapter 7, um, when Stephen talks about um, the, his audience and the people of Israel as those who are you know, kind of resisting the Holy Spirit, which indicates you know, there were, there were um, actions of the Holy Spirit for them to resist uh, in the past in the Old Testament. So the short answer is, 
um, the promise of the new covenant, that's one of the big differences between the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant is that mm. the new covenant comes with a change of heart, a, a, a transformation, an internalization, an internal transformation, which wasn't a feature of the old covenant. It was there and, there, you know, we read about the remnant and other people, you know, who are internally transformed, but it was a, it was um, not a key part of the um, of the Mosaic Covenant, the Covenant mm. with Moses. So then you've got Jeremiah um, looking forwards to a, a new heart, and you've got Ezekiel looking forwards to um, a heart of flesh, um, and then you've got Joel, the, the passage that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost, um, looking forward to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So it's part of that internalization, the application of what Jesus had come to do basically. Jesus mm. come to to seek and to save the lost, according to you know what he says in Luke nineteen, and uh, and the the transforming part of that is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit with the new covenant. Mm. Yeah, is that what you are. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic towards? answer. <laughs> I was just like, where is this Holy Spirit come from? <laughs> yeah. It's probably helpful to chat about. Yeah, but we do yeah. have some type of expectation. Yeah, that's right. Because I guess as I read through the Old Testament, I mean, as early as Genesis 1 with the spirit hovering over the water mm. or mm. judges when God's spirit comes upon people for mm. powerful deeds, yeah. there's always this thought of God's spirit being active. Mm. But then the new covenant era is, of course, this time when um, rather than just being empowered for one specific thing, mm. we are spirit-empowered people always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, right. there are still feelings of the Holy Spirit that yeah. happen throughout the rest of the book of Acts in yeah. terms of yeah. specifics. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like the general thing. Now, we're sitting in a Baptist church, which means I think my boss would be very upset if I didn't <laughs> ask, what does the book of Acts have to say or have to teach us about baptism? Yeah. I mean, just over here is our baptistry. Wow. Uh, not currently wow. full of water. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is, of course, one of the things that comes up. Uh, Christians disagree about, about uh, who should be baptized. Mm. Um, so perhaps let me preface that by uh, saying a couple of different approaches to it. So, yep. so if you are... Uh, from a maybe a Presbyterian background, or you, you're wanting to baptise infants, that is, or of of believers, then there's a couple of things that you would probably normally go to. And so, in Acts, people would go to Acts chapter two, um, where uh, Peter says, you know, repent and believe, uh, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children. So mm. people would say, okay, there you go. See, it's not just for the believers; it's for their children as well. And then they might then also go to places, for example, in Acts chapter 16, where there's a household yep. involved. And like Cornelius's household. Yeah. And Acts chapter 16, we've got Lydia yep. and then we've got the Philippian jailer. And in particular, the Philippian jailer, um, we're told he and all his family were baptized. Mm. And so they would say, oh, well, there we've got, you know, this must be uh, inclusive of not just him, but the others in the family, which means perhaps infant baptism. Okay, so that, that kind of, that's probably enough on, on that sort of how they would approach the book of Acts. My my um, approach is more in line with the Baptist view. And <laughs> nice so, to hear. <laughs> so, uh, you're, yeah, you'll be glad to hear and your boss will be glad to hear <laughs> as well. Um, so I think, I think, so just to go back to those, um, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter says, repent and be baptised, um, and you know, for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That promise of forgiveness of sins and the reception of the Holy Spirit is both for you and for your, you know, children or your subsequent generations. If they repent and are, and 
baptized, then they will likewise mm. receive forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit. And that's qualified because the rest of the verse goes on to say, um, not only for you and your children, but also for all who are far off. So meaning, and that I think that context is looking ahead to Gentiles as well. Mm. And then he adds, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So that last bit, I think, qualifies the preceding references. It's not only for you who are present here, uh, that is on the day of Pentecost, it's also for those who are not here, those future generations and those further away as well. All of those who the Lord calls, uh, this promises for them. And then when we come back to Acts chapter 16, I think there we have a, a clue as to what's going on um, because we're told here Paul speaks not only to the Philippian jailer, but he mm. also speaks the word to everyone else in his house. Yeah. Um, so I think that makes it pretty clear there that the people in the house heard the word that Paul was speaking. And it, it's those people who then we read came to believe, not only the Philippian jailer, but the rest of the family came to believe as well. Which just, by the way, is a remarkable day for the Philippian jailer, isn't <laughs> yeah, absolutely. it? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, not only is he not going to be put to death because of um, <laughs> the prisoners uh, uh, not escaping, but um, he and the rest of his family comes to know the Lord. And one other little comment on that that mm. I think confirms what we're saying there in Acts chapter 16 is over in Acts chapter 20, where we read that um, Paul goes into this, uh, leaves the synagogue and goes next door, and Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household, we read, believed in the Lord. So there's another reference to a household, mm. but this time it's, it's specifying, just like the Philippian jailer, that they believed. Um, and were, and then we add there, many of the Corinthians heard him, believed, and were baptized. So my my take on all of that is mm. that what we have in Acts is believer's baptism. Yep. <laughs> um, so and, repentance and belief comes first. Yeah. Always. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, it, I mean, it doesn't specify the age. So yeah, it's, that's up to, you know, a bit of discernment, I guess. But in terms of recipients of baptism, it's those who have responded, who've heard the gospel and have responded. Mm. Um, Peter says something similar, actually, in Acts chapter 10 um, for the household of Cornelius when he says, you know, they receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. <laughs> yep. So it seems to me that's his rationale. They've received the Holy Spirit, so therefore they should be baptized. They've, they've converted, they've believed, they've re responded to the gospel. Mm. Quick footnote to that. Yep, I love a good footnote. <laughs> is that that uh, doesn't mean, though, that um, the, uh, we know exactly for sure that someone is a genuine convert just because they've responded to the gospel and apparently believed. So mm. um, the, you know, we, it's, it's on the basis of people's profession of faith yep. that they get baptized. That doesn't make baptism a magical right or it doesn't save them. What They're saved by responding to the gospel. Mm. And so the person that gets baptized then isn't saved because they are being baptized. It's a yep. response to that. Part of the reason for saying that is because of Acts chapter 8, so mm. where we have Simon, the sorcerer, and uh, yep. it's kind of an interesting case where in Samaria, Philip goes there, and we read, you know, they all believe, they all respond, there's sort of dramatic 
conversion, this whole area of Samaria. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and then we read that Simon, the sorcerer himself, believed and was baptized. Mm. But as you read on, I think anyway, I think the following verses indicate there's something not quite right <laughs> mm. about Simon. It seems like he's still thinking in terms of magic, what, what he was doing before. And he's still wanting to manipulate the Holy Spirit. And then uh, Peter says to him, basically, you know, may you and your money perish because you thought you could, you know, you've got no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Mm. Repent. So I, I don't think there that um, Peter thinks that, I might have said Philip before, but um, this is Peter, no, no, P- Peter speaking to him. Um, I don't think Peter thinks that his he's genuinely converted mm. there. So even though he was baptized or apparently responded in some yeah so that's my kind of footnote there yeah. to that discussion yeah. what's uh really helpful is everything you've just said perfectly lines up with the spiel i give my youth whenever they ask about baptism so oh. i'm feeling really affirmed in my uh <laughs> my pastoral ministry at the moment which is quite nice that's a relief <laughs> yeah i reckon Ooh. I guess the other question while we're sitting at a Baptist church and yeah. talking about acts is like church governance, like church organization. Do we get any hints as this early church begins and begins to form mm. that there is a particular way that it's meant to happen? Mm. That is another very good question. <laughs> I know. I know it is. Uh, your, your Google search. <laughs> no, these ones I'm, I'm sure are ones that you've uh, you sort of, oh, I'll, get, I'll get Alan on this one. Um, so I think... The short answer to that, none of these answers have been short, but anyway, uh, one, answer, <laughs> one answer to that would be uh, yes. <laughs> there is, I think there are hints in Acts. It's not like a major mm. deal in Acts, but there are hints because part of the uh, emphasis that Luke wants to show us is not just that the gospel spreads. It's not just that people become Christians. Mm. It's that uh, churches are established and and it, it's those churches that believers get nurtured and built up in the faith. Mm. And so um, part of that then is having people who are responsible for pastorally caring for those who are in the churches. And so I I think even though it doesn't appear to be super prominent, it is actually... um, uh, it is actually one of the kind of the, one of the main points that Luke wants to point out. The reason for that is Acts chapter fourteen. So right at the end of that first sort of let's call it a missionary journey, that, <laughs> yep. in Acts chapter thirteen and fourteen, right at the very end, Paul and Barnabas go back to the places where they had just been, it, despite persecution. Like yes. the only reason they left all of those towns in chapter thirteen and fourteen is because people were like trying to kill them, <laughs> and then they and returned so, to the wall, and then yeah. they returned. So why on earth do they return back? They could because they end up going to Tarsus, which is just a short trip uh, further east. Um, so they could have continued on, but instead they go backwards, mm. back around. And so it's a very important uh, thing to notice here. The reason why they go back to these same churches, these same places where they faced persecution before is for the sake of those believers mm. in order to encourage them. And so not only do they do that though, to encourage them, but they also appoint elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting. So it seems as though Paul's concern here is not just that people come to faith, but that they come to faith and are in a church and are established and strengthened in their faith and nurtured and, and cared for by um, by leaders. Yeah, And that um, comes then into, like this is like a hint there, just at the end of chapter 14, but there's a massive uh, development of that in Acts chapter 20, where right at the end of Paul's public ministry, we have this long message that he gives to the Ephesian elders. And, it's, and he picks up on some of those same same things. They're supposed to care for the flock. They're supposed to, um, you know, to teach and preach and follow Paul's example 
um, in doing that and to be shepherds of the of the flock. So, um, so I don't know if this is getting at your question or not, but I, th- I think there is that, that there's something there that local churches matter, mm. that for spiritual growth, uh, local churches is essential. Yeah. And one of the key roles of an elder or pastor is to be pastorally concerned for the spiritual well-being of those under their care. Um, yeah, and so um, right at the end of that bit in Acts chapter 20, um, Paul says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are being sanctified. So even though Paul's leaving them, the the future of the church really depends on the ongoing um, nature of that word being mm. administered and being shared um, with the flock. Yeah, so I don't know if that's... Yeah. That where you were heading with that question about the churches and governance and that sort of thing. Look, I'm not going to lie. I just like hearing you speak about the book of Acts. So <laughs> any question I ask that will get you reading from the text and responding to my questions, I'm, I'm a big fan. I think what at least my last few questions are leaning towards is we read through the book of Acts and in one sense, it's just reporting what happened. Mm. And so you end up at this point of going, what here is prescriptive like what am i meant to do and change and mm. act from mm. this historical account and what is just a report of what happened full mm. stop please don't mimic this mm. like a- i think that's probably where all of my questions are leading right now yeah yeah is how do we use the book of acts in that way that's right i think that is a big challenge for people when they come to acts for the first time is knowing what to do with it like mm. Is this something I should be doing as well, or is this something that we should expect? Because um, you today read as like well? one of Paul's letters, and it's so clear, like do this, act this mm-hmm. way. Like mm-hmm. it's just theology being written to us. Yeah. Whereas a yeah. historical account is harder to figure out what is That's right. being taught there. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, I would say, like we have the same problem with any narrative text. You mm. know, read through the Old Testament. Is what's is this doing? You know, is this is this kind of being commended, or is it just sort of what happened, or you know, that sort of thing? Mm. Uh, but in some ways, it's harder for Acts because uh, when we read, you know, Kings and Chronicles and other things, we sort of we know already that we've got to make some adjustments. You know, yes. um, we don't take sheep to church anymore. <laughs> Even in New Zealand, we don't do that. <laughs> you so, do have a lot of sheep in New Zealand. <laughs> so, so we know, you know, there's been some developments. Jesus has come you know, no sacrificial system, you know, so there's mm. been some changes. So we know to read in light of some differences that we have, you mm. know, it's still a trick, but it's still tricky, but still, but when we read Acts, we're reading about the gospel, reading about churches, reading about Jesus, you know, it seems much more like immediately applicable. Mm. So then how do we, how do we do that? One uh, rule of thumb that I have found helpful to find, try and figure out, is Luke trying to commend something mm. as, as an ongoing practice? Or is he just saying this is sort of what happened? Is um, is just to look for repetition. Yep. So if it comes up again and again and again, then he's trying to teach us something. Mm. I, I think so. If you say, "Oh, this comes up. Oh, this comes up again. Oh, this comes up again," then you go, "Hmm, I think Luke might be trying to tell me something here." Now that's just step one, and yep. the next step is, "What is he trying to tell us?" <laughs> but yeah, at least we're kind of clued into something. Whereas if it just comes up once, then we're probably not meant to be using that as a as a kind of a guide for um, everything else that we do. So the mm. classic example, of course, I'm is I'm sure Acts, you're about to say casting lots. That's casting yes. lots. That's it in Acts chapter one. Uh, so 
you know, I don't know. How were you appointed here? Did, did Ange put a whole bunch of names in a hat and just pull one out and your name was on there? Or? I don't believe so, but <laughs> so, I don't know what happened behind closed doors. <laughs> so I'm assuming we don't normally do that as a, mm. as a practice for appointing church leaders. And the reason is because it only comes up once. Yep. There's no, there's no like, um, uh, Luke is not saying this is the way they made a decision. Every time they yes. just were trying to weigh up what to do, they just put a bunch of names on that hat and pulled one out sort of thing. It was just this one time in Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> so I don't think that is um, meant then to mm. be prescriptive, we use that language, to be, to be prescribing some way of appointing church leaders. The other thing, though, to keep in mind is it, it's, it's slightly more complicated than just saying is it descriptive or prescriptive because then we want to also ask ourselves, why is it there then? What, yeah. what is he doing with it? Is, it? is it just because it happened? But it seems as though he's selecting certain things to highlight certain things. So we want to always be thinking then what is the point of the passage? What is being highlighted? And mm. In that context, Acts chapter 1, to take that example, it's emphasizing God's sovereignty. If God's accomplishing his purposes, if he's keeping his promises, then, wow, what about Judas? You know, I mean, yep. is he really in control? Can we really trust him? You know, that kind of thing. So so uh, that was selected, That those events there were selected to highlight for us the outworking of God's sovereign purposes, even in the actions of Judas and, of course, in his replacement um, as well. So do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so even though it's, um, it's, we might say, descriptive, it's still a part of a narrative that's teaching us something. Yes. And so likewise then with the other things, we want to work out in the context, what is this saying? How do we work out what the point is in the context? What's Luke emphasizing? Mm. But repetition is one way of doing that. Yeah, good. I don't know if that... That's super helpful. That gives yeah. me and hopefully all of our listeners something to watch for yeah. as over the next little while we step through the different chapters of Acts. Yeah. We know that yeah. repetition is important and yeah. probably signposting something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I guess what is repeated often and regularly in Acts is the spread of the gospel. Yes, like of course. That is probably one of the biggest things that's repeated over and over. Yeah, um, yeah what sort of the biggest lessons we can learn about the spreading of the gospel mm. from the book of Acts? Yeah, the, that is, I, I think this is one of the key things, I think. And it's really, at the same time, inspiring and challenging to read how they did that. Mm. Um, and of course, that behind all of that is the reassurance that it's the Lord who's helping them yes. and he's and He's empowering his people by the Spirit. So Peter, you know, is filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 4 and speaks to the Sanhedrin and, you know, mm. tells them that Jesus is the, is the Lord's sort of thing so that you know that's something to be reminded of it's not it's not because they are like super christians or yep. like super powerful or something it's because of the holy spirit and it's also helpful to remember they're not like um uh super christians and uh we should be like them because just to kind of detour a little bit here for a, mm. a little minute, Acts chapter 12, I think, is another kind of reminder of that where they're like praying for Peter's release. And, uh, and then while they're praying earnestly, Peter's knocking at the door, you know. <laughs> Having been like, released. No, it can't be him. It must be somebody else, you know. So it's this kind of, I think, it's a humorous portrait there to remind us this is, you know, God works through the frailty of his people. Mm. It's not like 
you know, he can only work through perfect <laughs> Christians. He works through these folks who really didn't believe that the answer to their prayer was literally at the door. Mm. So that they're all sort of things to keep in mind. But I think uh, a couple of things come to mind when you look about the spread, of, when we read about the spread of the gospel in Acts. Mm. One is their boldness that Luke emphasizes again and again and again is that they were bold. They spoke boldly. That word boldness comes up quite a few times. And again, it, it's a boldness that is is given to them, I think, by the Holy Spirit. But it's a good reminder in the face of difficulties and in the face of people who are hostile uh, to be to continue to be clear and faithful. It doesn't mean boldness is not the same as obnoxiousness, but <laughs> yep. it, uh, it just means to be clear in the face of fear is a, de- mm. a definition that I've seen somewhere. So, yeah, to, to continue to be faithful in proclaiming uh, who Jesus is. So that's one thing we can learn is boldness, and I think that's going to be an increasing, increasingly relevant yeah. t- um, to us. Uh, another one is to keep in mind of the starting points of where people are at. So one of the key things that we find in Acts is, uh, yes, the, the core details of the gospel are the same in every circumstance, but they don't always begin at the same point. Mm. You know? So um, uh, Paul, of course, we know in Acts chapter 13, he gives a kind of a history of Israel before he gets to talking about Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, of course, he, yep. he talks about God and creation and sort of paints a worldview framework before he gets to Jesus and the, and the resurrection. And so those are just helpful things. They are often um, the, the speeches in Acts or the gospel mm. presentations are often prompted by a particular circumstance or, a, you know, a particular starting point. And so the, the starting point for each of the presentations isn't the same, even though there are common elements. They're talking yeah. about who God is and, you know, uh, what he's done and who Jesus is and what he's done and that sort of thing. They're those common elements, but they don't all, they're not all packaged in the same way. Um, one last thing, and that is, of course, one of the things we find in Acts is a lot of reference to the resurrection of Jesus. That's yeah. kind of the, the culmination of each of the speeches. And so th- that is a helpful reminder for us to keep remembering that it's the risen Lord Jesus that we're proclaiming. Mm. One little footnote to that is that doesn't mean that Acts is downplaying the death of Jesus. Sometimes people say, oh, Acts talks about the resurrection and not the crucifixion. We talk about the crucifixion, so we've got it wrong. Um, so the, here's where we need to keep in mind both Luke and Acts. Yep. And so Luke's gospel, of course, is heading towards Jerusalem and then there's the the whole details of the crucifixion are laid bare for us and we find out why Jesus died it's you know in order as he says in the upper you know the last supper his body is broken for you as blood is poured out for you as a sacrificial death for his people um so that doesn't receive the same amount of focus in the book of Acts as we find in Luke's gospel, but that's because it's already been yeah, laid yeah. out. He's already given it it's, a huge uh, emphasis yeah. in his first book. So it's still there. Like it's still Jesus dies and then he <laughs> rises, yeah, yeah, of yeah. course, when, it, when the gospel is proclaimed. But it's both. It's both is what I'm trying to say. It's Jesus' yeah, yeah. death and resurrection. That's the core of the gospel message. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think if we can, we can learn from those those things from the book of Acts about how they went about that, how they kept focused on that, um, and how they, by God's grace, were enabled to remain faithful to do that. Mm, So good. So helpful. Mm. Thank you so much for that. Mm. Um, So I guess as we begin to wrap up, I want to ask what should someone do in preparation for reading the book of Acts? Mm. Uh, well, a good point to start is to pray. It's always yeah, always good to to come to God's word, uh, depending on Him and mm. asking Him, seeking Him, 
to show you from his word what what is there. Mm. Um, now, you're asking to do in preparation. Well, it's sort of what we said at the beginning, I suppose. Read <laughs> Maybe read Luke's gospel as <laughs> Read well. Luke, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then read Acts. And don't be surprised if when you read Acts, you probably might need to read it again. So, yeah. it, it, you know, all the books of the Bible are assuming that we'll read it more than once. Mm. So... Um, there'll be things that you'll pick up on the more times you read it. Yeah. And the more you read it, the more you get into the head, so to speak, of of Luke and what he's trying to emphasize and so on. I don't know if that's what you're asking. So preparation-wise would be Luke's gospel, prayer, and uh, and reading Acts more than once. Yeah, no, those are three yeah. super helpful mm. ways to prepare <laughs> to read Acts. That's, that's a fantastic answer. The next question is, how might someone become, like you, an expert in the book of Acts? So now you've not just read it, <laughs> but now you actually want to be the expert on the book of Acts. What steps might someone take? Oh, um, uh, well, it's, there's a whole number of things you could do. But mm. if, you're, if you're wanting to, to research it and, and go into a teaching ministry of some kind, mm. then probably a good idea is to is to go to a Bible college. <laughs> I know a good one if you want. Yeah, so uh, convenient that, you're, uh, <laughs> that you work for a Bible college, isn't it? <laughs> I can recommend uh, SNBC, of course. Yeah, of course. It would be a good As start. would I, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's good. And, um, uh, you know, and there are, there are a number of courses there that fit different people at different stages and you can, different starting points as well. So you don't have to be an academic. You can, you can be, you know, uh, not having done advanced study beforehand, mm. many different courses. But there are also advanced courses there as well. Well, people can go on and do a PhD as well if they really want to. In terms of advice on how to start that journey, well, that, I mean, I guess that's sort of one step. Yeah. Um, reading it, if you're wanting to just focus on Acts and you're really wanting to dig into that, then I, again, what I would say would be reading it again and again and again mm. and ask questions. Like uh, what my one of my supervisor told me to interrogate the text. <laughs> that was his <laughs> phrase, interrogate the text. And what he meant was, you know, just keep asking, why? What's this doing here? How does, you know, how does this fit? What, mm. Why is this doing, uh, how does this fit in with the rest of the whole purpose of the book? And what would happen if this was left out? You know, those sorts of questions. And you'll, you, you never know, but you'll find by doing that enough, you find out that actually not all of those questions have been answered. So yeah. some people have spent a lot of time in Acts and written lots of things on it. But there's always more to discover. That's the richness of God's word. There's always more mm. there to investigate. And there's always different approaches, different things to fill out. The relationship between the Old Testament and Acts is one that I'm thinking about in various ways at the moment. And there's, there's just so much that can be done there as well. So um, where to start would be to read the book of Acts. <laughs> yep. Um, be taught by a great uh, youth pastor and uh, <laughs> very kind of you, and, and then maybe think about further study and yeah. continue along that journey step by step. Yeah, you know, I must say for myself, it was like we said before, I was a sparky, and then mm. ended up helping in church youth groups, and then got more and more opportunities to teach. It wasn't like something I set out to do. Like yeah. it, in my wildest dreams, I did not <laughs> think that I would ever write a book, let alone you know um, spend a lot of time researching you know something like the Book of Acts. So. Yeah. Who knows what the Lord has in store for you? Just take one step at a time and yeah. seek him. Yeah, yeah, and a good way to seek him is seeking him through his word. Yeah, And the book of Acts is mm. part of his word. Yeah. So it's very, very worthwhile spending mm. time in it. The last question I wanted to ask you was, um, what's one question you wish <laughs> I had asked you, asked you 
And how would you answer it? Basically, I'm giving you free reign to talk about whatever you want. Whatever I want. I hadn't actually thought of an answer to this question um, before now. So uh, I was thinking that we could we could we could talk about something else other than that, because that could be something yeah, yeah. Uh, completely different. And uh, it just so happens that I have uh, brought along with me a commentary on Colossians. And who wrote this commentary on Colossians? <laughs> this is a this is in the Tyndale New Testament commentary series. So Colossians and Philemon. Um, so if someone wants to move on from Acts, if they think, okay, you know, they, they've read the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus and they want to they want to progress, yeah, yeah. then then Colossians would be a helpful um, start for them. In all honesty, it is it's a popular level commentary, so it's not a technical one. It's one that you could read, you know, uh, if you're a keen if keen book reader sort of thing, then um, then you can read along. But the reason for mentioning that is because in some ways Colossians gives us a uh, a bit more of an application of the significance of what Acts is talking about. Everything mm. relates to Acts, basically, is what I'm saying. But <laughs> so when Acts is talking about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. Mm. Colossians has a lot on the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. That, yeah. That's the whole point of the of the book and how that works out and various distractions that we face in doing that. That's sort of Paul's writing to these people who are being um, sort of potentially hoodwinked into substituting Christ with various rules and regulations that people are saying this will make you more spiritual. Um, and so so that constant reminder to come back to Christ and his sufficiency yeah. would be um, would be kind of a good a good follow up to to the book of Acts and seeing how the Lord Jesus makes a difference to our own personal lives and our um, trust in him and what that looks like in everyday life. I want to thank you so much for coming and being on a podcast and being interviewed. Everything you've had to say has been tremendously helpful, but I've also just appreciated spending more time with you. Oh, that's I've, nice. I've missed you from my SMBC <laughs> days, oh, Alan. I miss you too, Lachlan. It's <laughs> very nice you to say. So as we've said, our next season of the Expert PK Newbie podcast is going to be on the Book of Acts. And so now is a really good time to subscribe, follow us on all the socials, on all the podcast platforms, on all the YouTubes, and get ready for a whole season of the Book of Acts. And we will really look forward to seeing you then. Bye. A mustard seed creative production.